What should the Christian life look like? What vision does Scripture cast for living as a follower of Christ? Hello and welcome to the God Story Podcast. I'm Brent Siddle. And this time our very special guest on the show is Jarvis Williams, Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in the States. And Jarvis is with us to talk about his new InterVarsity Press IVP book on Galatians called The Spirit, Ethics and Eternal Life, Paul's Vision for the Christian Life in Galatians. And Jarvis joins me now from the States. Jarvis, hi, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a, it's a thrill to have you with us. It's a fantastic book on Galatians, really good. Now, how does Paul write about the Holy Spirit in Galatians? Yes, good question. I think when you get to the central section of the letter, what I think is the central section of the letter in chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6, around 3, 1 to, to 6, 10 is the central section. Paul begins that section in chapter 3, verse 2, with an interesting question. He asks, I only wish, 3-2, to learn one thing from you. And his question is, how did you receive the Spirit? And then he continues throughout verses 3 down to verse 5, really repeating that question, asking them how do they receive the Spirit. So throughout that central section, the, uh, the Spirit seems to be a key feature to what he's arguing. And he seems to be making the point that, that if the Galatians indeed have trusted in Jesus Christ by faith, uh, they're therefore justified by faith in Christ. And as a result of that, uh, they have the Spirit because Jesus died for their sins to deliver them from the present of wage, and He gave to them, Galatians 3.13, 3.14, uh, by, by His death, He gave them the Spirit, and then also Galatians 4, 5, and 6. And so then when He gets to the end of the letter, He begins to give them this series of, of ethical exhortations couched within several warnings. And he tells them in 5.16 that they must walk in the Spirit, and that if they walk in the Spirit, they should by no means fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he says in 5.20, just to paraphrase what he says from, from 5.17 up to 5.20, if they don't walk in the Spirit, they will by no means inherit the kingdom of God. So he seems to talk about the Spirit in the letter in such a way where he says that if, they, if, if in fact they are justified by faith in Christ alone, who died for their sin, and whom God raised from the dead, they have received the Spirit, and if they have the Spirit living in them, they would therefore walk in step with the Spirit, and if they walk in step with the Spirit, they would inherit the kingdom of God. And a key piece to what I'm trying to say also in the argument is, is that the Galatians will in fact walk in step with the Spirit because they are justified by faith in Christ. And so the obedience that Paul demands is Spirit-empowered, Spirit-enabled, Spirit-transformed, obedience that comes by means of God's transformational power of the Spirit, which they only receive because of Jesus' death for their sins and his resurrection from, from the dead. So that's how I would articulate it. Yes, no, I mean, you've pretty much answered my next question, but uh, how is the Spirit actually linked to ethical transformation in Galatians? Because this, as you say, is the one of the key points of your book. It's not just about receiving the Spirit, but it's how we walk in the Spirit and our obedience to Jesus, isn't it? Yes, so I think in in the letter, Paul pre presents salvation as something that's vertical, horizontal, and cosmic. And the vertical aspect of our salvation is is that Jesus died for our sins, God raised him from the dead, and and his death and resurrection make us right with God by faith. So we were justified by faith, we have our sins forgiven, so on and so forth. But also, there's a horizontal element to Paul's gospel in Galatians. And that horizontal element talks about because of God's saving action for us in Christ, that we are therefore 
transformed in order to be able to love God, of course, but also to love neighbor and to live rightly with their neighbors in the real world. And then there's a cosmic piece to it as well, uh, which which refers to because of God's saving action in Christ, that the creation is liberated from sin's power and uh, its its tyrannical the tyrannical power of sin over creation. But the horizontal piece is, is what I'm calling the, the ethical piece. And the ethical piece is part of this announcement that God has brought about this vertical, horizontal, cosmic redemption in Jesus. And so everyone who has experienced this vertical reconciliation with God, this, this vertical justification by faith, we in fact will walk in step with the Spirit because Jesus saved us to love God, yes, uh, to be forgiven of our sins, yes, to be delivered from God's wrath, yes, to inherit the kingdom of God, yes, but also to live in reconciliation with our neighbors, which is what Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 13, that because we've been freed from slavery to sin's power, we sh- and we're therefore now slaves of love for one another, and so when we love one another, Galatians 5.14, we thereby fulfill the entire law. And then, of course, those that vice virtue list that he gives us gives us a lot of horizontal ways that we can sin against each other. And if we sin against each other, we're, we're representing that we are living in accordance with the flesh. But he, he shows the, the contrary path, that if we've been transformed by the Spirit, we, we love, we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, compassion, and self-control against such things there is no law. And so that piece is a crucial piece that manifests that we truly have been vertically made right with God by faith in Christ. Yes. What was the other gospel of Paul's opponents in Galatia? Yeah, I, th- I think the other gospel in Galatia was this, this gospel that these teachers proclaimed to these Jewish, to these Gentile Christ followers in Galatia that said, the gospel that they proclaimed said that these Gentile Christ followers had to get circumcised if they were males, and um, that, that was the mark of the Abrahamic covenant. And then, of course, Leviticus 12, 3, the, the mark of the Abrahamic covenant is folded within the Mosaic covenant. And essentially, they were telling these, these Galatians that they had to become Jewish and live a Jewish way of life in order to be part of Abraham's family and, and be part of the people of God. They were likely also preaching Christ plus circumcision, but Christ plus some food laws and Christ plus some special days, maybe Yom Kippur, maybe uh, Passover, so on and so forth, so that the issue seems to be they were telling these Gentiles that your faith in Jesus Christ alone is not enough as Gentiles, but you must, in addition to trusting in Christ, you must become become Jewish and keep these key aspects of Torah, whereas Paul says, no, Jews and Gentiles are justified the same way, by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Yes. Uh, we touched on this earlier, but how does Paul describe humanity as enslaved to violent and oppressive powers in Galatians? Yes. In, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 4, Paul begins, well, in Galatians 1, verse 1, he begins with the resurrection. He says that he's an apostle, not for man, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father raised him from the dead. And then in 1, 4, he says that Jesus died for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, we might expect he would say, to deliver us from God's wrath. That is true. Jesus did, in fact, die to deliver us from God's wrath. But here he emphasizes from the present evil age. If you read further throughout Galatians, when Paul talks about the present evil age, it's an age dominated by sin, which is why he describes life 
before Christ as life under sin, life under the law, life under the elementary principles of the world in chapters four and or, or chapters three and four. So then for Jesus to deliver individuals and creation from uh, the power of sin and these these principalities and powers of the air, I think it means that Jesus is is rescuing us from being slaves to sin and its power and all of the the wicked, as one scholar said, anti-God powers that enslave creation as well as individuals. And so Jesus's death is, in fact, as I said before, it is he, he accomplishes vertical salvation. He makes us right with God. Horizontal redemption. He makes us right with one another by faith in Christ. And cosmic redemption. Galatians 6.15, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters, but what matters is new creation. We are redeemed to inherit a glorified, perfect world, which has already begun to be inaugurated right now, but that's fully realized at the end of the age when Jesus returns a second time. Yeah. Uh, let's come and talk about justification for a bit, because this is absolutely key to Paul's letter. It's one of the things I love about the letter to Galatians. It's so significant and so special. How, I wonder, does Paul speak about justification in Galatians, and what is justification anyway? Yes. I mean, this is a, another key element to Paul's letter. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, Paul emphasizes three times that Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. And of course, he mentions justification here uh, in the letter for the first time in the context of correcting Peter's aberrant behavior in Antioch because Peter was withdrawing from table fellowship with Gentiles. So my view of justification is, is that justification is a forensic verdict. It's a declaration that God announces, declares in our, on our behalf, in our favor, because of Jesus's perfect righteousness, because of Jesus's penal substitutionary death for our sins and God's resurrection of Jesus from the dead, that by faith in Christ, God counts us as sinners as righteous in Christ, as not guilty in Christ. That is, he accredits, or here's another word that we can use, he imputes to our account Christ's righteousness so that we inherit the status of righteous before God in the judgment. And that status has broken into this present evil age right now so that what will be true at the end of the present evil age when we stand before God and we hear the verdict is also true right now in this present evil age because we are united to Christ by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So all of Christ's righteousness is reckoned to our account because our sin and our judgment because of our sin was reckoned to his account, which is why Paul says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law in 3.13 by becoming a curse for us. And then in Galatians 4, verses 5 and 6, he was born uh, uh, of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us from the from the law so that in Christ Jesus we are declared to be not guilty and that righteousness is our own because we are in Christ. When you say a forensic declaration, what do we mean by the word forensic? That might um, puzzle yeah, some listeners. That's a good question. But I mean it's a, it is a, it's a legal term so that the way I would articulate it is, is that God is our Father in Christ Jesus. But before we're in Christ, he is, our, he is our judge. And we stand before God guilty because of our sin. And there's a day of judgment that is coming. There's an eschatological day of wrath that is coming. The scales will be weighed. The books will be opened. And each person will be judged in accordance with his works. 
And those of us who are justified by faith in Christ, those of us who are in Christ Jesus by faith, we, when we stand before God in the day of judgment, the, the legal verdict, the forensic verdict, the declaration in God's law court on our behalf will be one of no condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because God himself did for us in Christ what the law itself could not do for us. So by forensic, I mean it's a legal declaration and it's a real declaration. That is, I am really not guilty because of what God has done for me in Christ and my union and your union with Christ by faith in the fact that we are, in fact, that declaration of not guilty. Our status before God is changed. We're God's friends, no longer God's enemies, and we're God's sons and, and daughters in Christ. Yes, and Christ's righteousness is imputed to us, which means when uh, God sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ instead of our sin. Am I right? That's right. Yes, that Christ's righteousness becomes ours by faith and our union with Christ by faith. So we st- so again, Romans 8, 1 here, uh, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But if I could read the verse in the opposite way, there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. So what is Christ becomes mine and, and all of those who believe in Jesus by faith and, and is counted in our favor and in our behalf. And it is a status of not guilty before God in the judgment. Now, uh, all this being so, how does the Apostle Paul describe the Jewish law in the context of justification in Galatians? Yeah, this is another key key issue in Galatians. Uh, the key phrase that pops up in Galatians 2.16, when Paul says we're justified by faith in Christ apart from the works of the law, that phrase, apart from the works of the law, is a phrase that scholars have spent several pages uh, explaining, but I, I think Paul means by works of law that, that the Mosaic Covenant, the whole thing, uh, Exodus 20 throughout Deuteronomy, everything in the Mosaic Covenant, that, that, that the Mosaic Covenant as a system is not uh, the means by which or the pathway toward which one will be justified by faith in Christ, but is justified by faith, just, justified, but, it, but one is justified by faith in Christ alone. So when Paul talks about works of law, I don't think he's simply talking about, as some scholars have said, a few laws such as Sabbath keeping, circumcision and food laws. I think he is talking about the entire Mosaic system. I think this is supported in Galatians chapter five, when Paul says that if the Galatians embrace one part of the law, namely circumcision, Galatians chapter uh, chapter five, verses two and following, he says they're therefore obligated to keep all of the law. So from Paul's view, circumcision by itself is not enough to grant them admission into the into the people of God if they're trusting in the law, but they must keep the entire law. So for Paul, the entire law is the the meaning of what he means by works of law. Now, another piece to this is I want to clarify something and say that one of Paul's, Paul's issue seems to be that the teachers are telling these Gentile Christians in Galatia that they need to keep the Mosaic law, that is, keep aspects of the Mosaic law, that is, to become Jewish in order to be part of the people of God. So Paul's problem is that these these Jewish teachers, I think they're Jewish teachers, are telling Gentile Christians that they need to become Jews. And so Paul's problem seems to be that he's he's furious because the only way a Jewish person or a Gentile person can become right with God is by faith in Christ. Gentiles don't have to become Jewish uh, to be part of the people of God, and and Jews don't stop being Jews when they become 
the part of the people of God, but Jews and Gentiles are justified by faith in Christ. Remember in Galatians chapter two, Paul says to Peter, Peter, we are Jews, 2.14, we are Jews by nature. We're not sinners by means of association with the Gentiles. So he's emphasizing again and again that Jews and Gentiles are justified not by keeping the Mosaic covenant, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Yes, and so that's justification. Now, uh, let's come on to the other part of the argument. How then do we walk in step with the Spirit, according to Paul in Galatians? And how are justification by faith and walking in the Spirit different? Yeah, good question. The uh, the first part of the question, you know, it's interesting because in Galatians, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit, but he doesn't really give us a formula by which to do it. Uh, that is, he doesn't say step one, step two, step three, step four, Here, here's how you do it. But I think uh, there are things that we can draw from the letter and elsewhere in Scripture that help us in walking in the Spirit. So, for example, I, I think in Galatians, that one one way in which the Galatians would have walked in the Spirit was by means of of, of loving one another, having love, joy, peace, passion, uh, 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 compassion, kindness, self-control. Another way would have been to to avoid or to reject this other gospel, not to listen to what these teachers are saying, but to embrace the gospel that they received and believed when Paul preached it to them. But I think there are other other means by which we as Christians can can walk in the spirit. I think being involved in the life of the local church is a means by which we walk are are, are able to walk in the spirit. Uh, celebrating uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper in the context of the Lord's uh, of the of the local church as well as uh, serving, uh, sitting under the preached word in the context of the local church. The Lord uses that as a means by which we are enabled to walk in the Spirit. The Lord also uses uh, church discipline as a means by which we are enabled to, to walk in the Spirit. Prayer, uh, praying Scripture, uh, reading Scripture, uh, singing Scripture are, are, are ways that we are enabled to to walk in in the Spirit. And I think there are other other. Uh, things that the Lord can use uh, as means to enable us to walk, to walk in the Spirit. A key piece to this walking in the Spirit is to remember that the exhortation to walk in the Spirit is a communal exhortation. Uh, of course, individually and privately, we have to be faithful and pious and, and devoted to the spiritual disciplines. But Paul is talking to these Christians to do these things and work things, these things out in the context of Christian community. So Christian community is crucial in terms of walking in the Spirit. With regard to your second question, how is justification different from walking in the Spirit? In my view, very different. So justification is, in Galatians, a forensic verdict, declaration. Uh, It refers to the imputation of Christ's righteousness, a status before God that's changed because of my union with, with, with Christ by faith, whereas walking in the Spirit is is transformative. So that, in my view, justification is not transformative. It is it is forensic. Uh, but walking in the Spirit is something that is enabled by the Spirit. So that so that justified justified people, those of us who are in fact right with God, we walk in the Spirit. But walking in the Spirit is not the same thing as justification. The way I try to articulate it in my book is, I say that. That Paul's soteriology is co- is vertical, horizontal, and cosmic, and and so the vertical aspect and the horizontal aspect and the cosmic aspect are all under the umbrella of of soteriology. 
but they are different aspects of Paul's soteriology in, in Galatians. And we ought not to confuse the one with, with the other. So, so we're justified by faith in Christ alone on the one hand. And then on the other hand, those of us who are justified, we are living, Galatians 5, 5, by faith, by the Spirit, as we are awaiting the, the certainty of our future justification on the last day. How does the Spirit, I mean, you've partly already answered this, I think, but how does the Spirit transform us, according to Paul, in Galatians? Yeah, you know, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 2, or verse 3, excuse me, Paul says, he, he talks about receiving the Spirit in 3, 2, then in 3, 3 he says, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being brought, and this is my translation, are you now being brought to completion by the flesh? Uh, and then in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, he talked, he, he says, Jesus died for, for our, us to deliver us from the curse of the law, so that verse 14, excuse me, that verse 14, we will receive the Spirit. And then in Galatians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he talks about, again, Jesus's redemption of us in 4, 5, so that we would receive the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, which cries out, Abba, Father. So, so I take it that that the Spirit transforms us as He is living within us. He is He is empowering us. He is enabling us. He is He is using also, I think, means by which to effect that transformation, such as uh, the the preaching of the gospel, hearing the gospel, such as living uh, in community with the people of God. Uh, Galatians five thirteen to six ten. So that uh, the, the the spirit's transformational power takes place because of Jesus's death for us, whose death gives us the spirit and, and his resurrection, of course. And he he indwells us. He feels us. He uh, he empowers us. And so one thing we should do as believers is pray for the Lord to strengthen us in the spirit, to fill us with the spirit, to empower us by the spirit who lives in us and and who makes us he he. he guarantees uh, that we are, in fact, sons and daughters of God as he cries out, Abba, Father, on our behalf, and gives us the ability to call God our Father. Last question, Jarvis. How does Galatians help us establish a Christian ethic of social order in the contemporary public square? Because this is one of the things you deal with in your book, isn't it? Yes. I think one of the things that I, I think my my exegesis and my theology can do is, is help Christians have some theological and biblical resources to, to, to create sort of a Christian social ethic that's rooted in an argument in, in one particular book of the Bible. And I think one thing we can, we can learn from Galatians is, is that how we live as Christians in the real world matters. It matters in terms of our Christian witness it matters in terms of being uh, evangelistic, absolutely, but also matters in terms of participating in life, in eternal life in the age to come. Because those of us who are, in fact, justified by faith, we will, in fact, walk in the Spirit. We don't do that perfectly, but we, 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 we can and we must do that faithfully, and, and the Spirit enables us to do that. And one thing the Spirit is enabling us to do is Galatians 5, verse 13 and 14, is to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and love is complex. Uh, love is not a touchy-feely. Love is grounded in, in Galatians, love is grounded in and modeled after 
Jesus's selfless, sacrificial love for us. And our, and our love for our neighbor is rooted in uh, truth. It's rooted in doctrine. It's rooted in theology. It's rooted in the cross and resurrection of Jesus. But if we, in fact, have been transformed by the Spirit and have the the fruit of the Spirit cultivated within us as the people of God, then we should manifest that, that in the public square and how we love our neighbors, how we talk, how we disagree, how we how we critique, how we uh, prescribe uh, the right path as, as gospel followers of Jesus. It, it should it should transform uh, this message in Galatians should transform every way we live and think about um, our existence in this world, because we are sons and daughters of the kingdom living in the power of the spirit in anticipation of the 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 kingdom of God and the age to come, which is already broken in right now. Uh, by means of transformed, spirit-empowered believers living in the right way in allegiance and obedience and faithfulness to Jesus to Jesus Christ. So this should shape how we go about our business in the real world. Mm. Jarvis Williams, Associate Professor of New Testament Interpretation at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky in the States. His book from IVP Intervarsity Press America is called... Uh, the Spirit, Ethics and Eternal Life, Paul's Vision for the Christian Life in Galatians. Jarvis, thank you so much. And thank you to our creative team at Liquid Edge who sponsor this podcast and who take care of things behind the scenes. Jarvis, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Brent. We really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the God Story Podcast. If you want to help us make more great episodes like this one, you can head over to our Patreon page and become a God Story Podcast supporter. You'll receive our undying gratitude plus a few bonus goodies for your ongoing support. Just visit patreon.com slash godstorypodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash godstorypodcast. As always, you can get in touch with us via our website, godstorypodcast.com.